Well, I'm glad that you made it to uh, hang out with us this evening. I am uh, filling in for Wade. He's given me the, the opportunity to preach, and I'm grateful for it. Um, I, I take great joy in, uh, in walking through the Word of God with people. And uh, so t- this evening, as we do that, you can go ahead and open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 30. That's where we're, gonna, we're just going to continue the, the Psalm series. And uh, just to give you, remind you who I am just a little bit, so I'm not some stranger up here. Uh, My name is Lawson Harlow. I am the uh, church planting intern here. And so I have the great privilege and uh, joy to serve on staff with uh, with all of the incredible staff members that are here at Longview Point. I'll be honest, I've served on about five or six church staffs. And I promise you, I have never seen a staff just, a, a church maybe the better way to say this, as blessed as Longview Point with the staff that we have here. And so um, it's just a joy to learn from these guys, to learn from Wade and Jason and Derek and all the staff members here. Man, it's just been fantastic. And, and I thank you for the opportunity to, uh, to come and to, and to speak this evening and this opportunity to serve alongside you uh, for the gospel. Uh, So uh, as we uh, begin this evening, let's turn our our attention to Psalm chapter 30. Let's start in verse 1. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to the Lord, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me. O Lord, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, and my glo- that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Let's pray together. Father, we are just so grateful for the privilege to come together as a body of believers and celebrate um, celebrate you, Lord. Celebrate what you've done for us in Christ and celebrate uh, our faithful God, a God of mercy and grace, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so, Father, as we're here this evening, my prayer is that we would make much of you. God, that you would be our, our sole focus and Lord, that we would worship you through the teaching and study of your word. Lord, we're so grateful for the fact that you gave us your word, that you revealed yourself to us in this way. And so Father, we come and submitting ourselves under the authority of your scripture. Lord, that it is the only rule of, uh, the only infallible rule of faith, uh, faith and practice for us. And so Father, would you by your word sanctify us? Would you conform us into the image of Jesus? Lord, I confess to be nothing more than a servant weak, Lord, but I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness that Christ's power may rest upon me. Uh, it is in the name of Christ and through his blood we pray, amen. Um, so as we come to this Psalm, and, and I'll be honest, I, I love this Psalm and, I, and I'm sure many of you love this Psalm for the same reason, but in verse five, it says this, for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And this verse I think is probably one of the most well-known verses from the Psalm. And it's a sweet verse, isn't it? That even though we go through times of great tribulation, there's always mercy for us in the morning. That although we may weep through the night, God's mercy and joy come in the morning. And so as we approach this text, let me give you a little bit of a background of what's happening in 
in David's life as he writes. David has just finished his house, ultimately the house that God said that he would build him. He's been given this place to dwell. And David sits in front of the king and ultimately what he says, sits in front of the Lord and ultimately what he says is, is God, what am I? What am I that you've given me all these things? And I can imagine David even reflecting on his own faults and failures. And I think we can all uh, identify with David a little bit here that do you ever have the moment like, why would you save me? And I think David is having a similar moment. He's thinking about all the great things that the Lord has done for him. And he's thinking about the ways that he himself has failed to meet the standard that God has set. I mean, can you imagine being a man identified as a man after God's own heart and the weight that that would carry? I mean, that, that makes me tremble to my core, like to bear that name and then also be the guy who does the, the great tragedy that we see with David and Bathsheba and then ultimately killing Uriah the Hittite. I mean, like think about the weight that would come over someone to be called a man after God's own heart. And so as David pins this, he's thinking on all the ways that God has been merciful to him. And he's thinking about the ways that God has delivered him through so many different things. And he pins this. And and I wanna come to this text this evening thinking through the mercies of God. And so the primary thing we're gonna be looking at is the mercy of God in David's life, not only in the ways like we'll see as David is reflecting back on the way that God has had mercy on him. And then we'll see as, as David continues to urge the Lord, please have mercy on me. And then there's this response that we see. And so what we're gonna do is we're gonna walk through this picture of God's mercy and we're gonna see how David responds to it. So starting in verse one, we see this. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried to you for help and you have healed me. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And so let me give you just a a little extra background here. Most people believe that as David is writing this, he's coming out from from a pretty terrible illness that he has been very, very sick. And, and, and as he's pinning this, he's thinking about how, the, how God has just spared him from ultimately dying from some plague or some pestilence. And so um, what he's, listen to in verse, in verse two, oh Lord, my God, I cried to you for help. I just wanna stop and identify the mercy that's simply found in this verse. How sweet is it that we have a God that hears us when we cry to him? I mean, I think we, we forget this from time to time. It's easy in our prayer life to think that our prayers, that our cries, that our petitions hit the roof and stop. But as David writes this and he's thinking about how God has delivered him and how he cried to the Lord and the Lord heard and answered, what sweet mercy is there that we sinners who have rebelled against the holy God are heard by him? Would he not be just to simply cut off uh, any privilege we have to enter into his presence. David, apart from God's favor in his life, had no right to walk into the throne room of grace and urge the Lord to have mercy on him. So the simple fact that that David has the grand privilege of crying to the Lord and saying, God, help me, is a mercy in and of itself. But one of the beautiful things about our God is not only does he hear, but he acts. And so in verse two, you see the cry that we see from David, and then you see God's response to it. Now look at verse three. O Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And so because of God's mercy and because David cries to the Lord and, and urges God, would you please heal me? Would you, would, you, would you rescue me from this? You see God respond in healing. 
and I'll be honest, it's hard for me to, to break away from the fact that we're all sinners deserving of death. And so for God to heal David is not only an act of mercy, but of grace. For we, we deserve nothing more but eternal separation from the Father. And God has mercy on David, a sinner, and heals him. Now, what's David's response to this? David's response, we see this in verse one. I will extol you, O Lord, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. You're gonna see a theme throughout this Psalm, a plea for God's mercy, God's mercy coming. And then you will always see this response of praise. And as we walk through this, I want you to understand that this is always the way this goes. That when we urge, we plead for God with mercy and we say, Lord, would you please have mercy on us, even in our illnesses? And I just wanna point out, I think about David and his illness and I think there is a uniqueness that comes upon us as humans in the midst of our illnesses. Isn't there? There's a unique cry that we make because I think in our illnesses, we begin to further understand the fact that we do not control our heart beating or the breath that we breathe. I mean, do you realize that the breath that you just inhaled was a gift to you from God? That it is by his grace that you were able to take that oxygen and it be able to fuel your body because apart from his sovereign will, it wouldn't have happened. God sustains us, but we forget that in our health. And David, in the midst of his illness, pleads to God. And I think in the midst of this, he realizes his desperate need once again for God to be the one to sustain him. And friends, in the midst of our illnesses, we must be quick to turn to the Lord and say, look, in this, I'm realizing that, I, I, I'm realizing that you're the one that sustains me. You're the one who cares for me. And David does exactly what we all should and run to the only person who can rescue us, run to the only source we have of life. Now, the tragedy is, often it takes us an illness to realize this. I mean, why is it that in our health, we, we think that we can sustain ourselves, we can care for our own selves, we can make our heart beat? And I, and I wanna maybe suggest, and I'll back this up in a moment, that in the mercies of God, he allows us to go through times of tribulation and he allows us to go through times of illness that we might gain a more proper understanding of how God sustains and cares for us and our true dependence on him. And you see God's mercy in this is not simply in his healing, but I believe it is also in him suffering through this illness that he might have a deeper dependence on God the Father who is sustaining him. You see, I think we have a very, very simplistic understanding of God's mercy. And we always think of it in, in, in him relieving us from some trial or tribulation or harm. But I believe also that there are many times where God allows us to go through situations and it is by his mercy that he allows us to do that, that we might gain a deeper understanding and affection for him. And so as you see this, this pattern, so to say, you see in verse two, David pleads for the, the, the Lord to have mercy on him as he is ill. In verse three, you see David is healed. And then in verse one, you see his response. I will praise the Lord. I will give him thanks. I will worship him for what he's done. And so we see as God would relieve the fallen condition and the illness of David's life. And then following in verse four and five, you see something a little bit different. And I love this text. In verse four, it says this, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Now, 
We see God's mercy in the physical life, the life that we live in our bodies right now. We see how God had mercy on David as he pleaded for it. He healed him of his illness. But I think in these verses, we see the depths of God's mercy. Listen. So you see his response in verse four, sing praises to the Lord, O you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime. Can I just wanna stop on for his anger is, is but for a moment. I love this verse. And I think of the time when God's anger is most clearly expressed at the cross of Christ. There is no greater moment in human history where we see God's anger and wrath poured out than at the cross of Christ. And the great joy I have seeing that anger and wrath poured out there because I know if it was emptied there that there's none left for me. And so when you see this phrase for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime, there's this beauty in it that not only is God's anger brief, but he is also slow to anger. You know, one of the greatest, one of the ways that we see God described time and time again in the Psalms and we see it all the way back in Exodus is God gives his character. He says, I am a God slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And I just wanna take a brief moment to rejoice in the fact that although I rebel against God endlessly, he is slow to anger. It takes much to stir him to wrath, but not only is he slow to anger, his anger is but for a moment. You ever stop to think that the omniscient God who knows the inward most thoughts, that your, your deepest motivations that you try to hide even in your best deeds, that although he knows all of those, and certainly we would argue that if we stood before God with those on display, he might be a bit angry with us, wouldn't he? But he's slow to anger. And not only is he slow to anger, but we see that anger is but for a moment. And then we see this, his favor is for a lifetime. And I want you to see the mercy of God in this. Because friends, apart from the person and work of Jesus, God would have nothing to do with us apart but be angry with us and condemn us to hell. You see, the great mercy here is that God's wrath is turned away because of what Christ has done on the cross. How do we have favor with God for a lifetime? How do we enter into being not just slaves of Christ, which I would rejoice in personally, just to be a slave. If, if, if all I knew about the gospel was that God saved me, that I could wait his table for eternity, then I would indeed rejoice. But that is far too light of a thing. God instead says, I desire that you not be a servant, but a son. Your job will not be to, to wait the table, but to dine at it. And you go even past that, we see things where we're friends of God. Not only are we friends, but we're brothers of, 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 of Christ. We're sons of God, heirs. And, not, and, and even going past that, we're brides, brides of Christ. And so when I look at this verse and I think in his favor is for a lifetime, realizing the depths of my sin in my own life, but I have God's favor on my life, all flowing from the mercy that is provided at the cross of Christ. Man, what great mercy is there that we deserve death, we deserve to be punished for our sin. And in the midst of all of that, we see his favor poured out on us. Now for David, I think that in David's life, there were moments, and I think we can all see this in the scriptures, that David, although he, did, he was a man after God's own heart, did not always walk perfectly, did he? He was a man just as we were. And he was a man that fell and he stumbled and he sinned and he rebelled against God just as we do. And I think that he experienced this rather frequently. He experienced enraging the Lord. You, you see that in uh, the story of Bathsheba. You said in Uriah, you said at other times where he had done something displeasing to the Lord. 
But what great comfort do you think he had as he's reflecting back on God's mercies that although he failed, although he stumbled time and time again, he was met with the mercies of God in the morning. Can I make a, can I ask a question perhaps? Have you ever just been so burdened by your sin that you thought God could never, ever love you again? I can think of times in my life as I was a new believer, I did not have a a deep understanding of grace by any means. I simply knew that Christ died for my sins. That's all I had. But there was a uniqueness about the times when I would fall. And I remember weeping on my bed. Frankly, I remember weeping in recent days over my sin. And I remember thinking to myself, man, this, this burden, this weight is so heavy. But there was a uniqueness in the morning when I would get up and I would study my Bible and all of a sudden there was this freedom. There was this mercy that God offered me. And, And friends, that's exactly what we're seeing here. We're seeing this free gift of God, the grace that we see in Christ, the mercy that we can find in him. And we see that the weeping may indeed tarry for the night, but joy does indeed come in the morning. And I would argue that David experienced a deeper joy in light of the mercy that God showed him than he had previously. Isn't there a uniqueness in the day that you wake up after rebelling against God, after sinning and falling, and you taste that sweet grace and mercy provided you in Christ? Does it not spur you to a deeper love for him? That is by no means an excuse for us to continue in sin so that we might experience that deeper grace. That's not the case at all. But man, what great comfort is it to know that although I may fail and I may lay on my bed weeping at night for my sin, or perhaps there's a struggle or some pain in my life, but joy will indeed come in the morning because God's mercy is abounding every day. Isn't that a sweet truth to rest in? And so as we look at God's mercy in this, as we even think about David, how David had wept on his bed, perhaps I even think of David as his son dies from the sin he committed with Bathsheba. I wonder as he was weeping through the night, praying, Lord, would you not, would you spare my son? Would you spare him? And the Lord ultimately says no. But there's a uniqueness in the next day, isn't there? Even his servants recognize what's different, what's changed. And he realizes There's nothing to be done here. I can't, he can't come to me, so I'm gonna go to him. And he experienced in that morning the mercies of God, even to the point where those around him recognized that something was different, that he had changed. And so my friends, I think as we consider the mercies of God, what great comfort we can take that even in the midst of uh, the greatest of tragedies, when we weep in our beds through the night, there's a sweet joy that comes in the morning. Now, I wanna shift real quickly and look at this moment that I really think is, is the center focus of this passage. Uh, so you see in verses one through five, you see David reflecting on how God has had mercy on him throughout his life. You see him pleading uh, as he is ill, that God has rescued him from that illness. And you see him praise the Lord for what he's done. You even see him as he's considering the fact that God will turn his wrath from him because of his mercy. He's thinking on that and praising the Lord from it. And then you have this phrase, and it's an interesting one. In verse six, it says this, as for me, I stand in my, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. Does anybody think that's an arrogant phrase by any means? I shall never be moved. Now let's make a, let's, let's ask ourselves the questions. Have we ever been here where we really thought that everything is going perfectly and there is not a soul in the world that can move me from my prosperity or my health or whatever your idol may be at the time? 
man, I'm, I'll be honest, like I'm reading this, I'm like, ooh, because you know what's coming next. Like when men stand before God and say, I can't be moved, rest assured, you're about to be. And David, as he is writing this, ultimately what he's doing is confessing this sin before the Lord is what I, is what I see here. And he says, I shall never be moved by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong. So David's saying, I can't be moved from the place that God built me up to. And ultimately what you see here is, is, is David taking for granted the position that God has given him and saying, I, I, I've established myself to some degree. I'm safe here. I can't be moved. And then you see in this exact same passage, Listen to this, by your favor, O Lord, you made my mountain stand strong, you hid your face. Now, I wanna ask you the question here because as you look at this text, you see, by your favor, you made my mountain stand strong, which we would naturally assume that God's favor would lead him to encourage or strengthen us or to give us a place of, 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 of firm footing. But it's also by your favor that you hid your face. Why? Why in, why in God's favor would he hide his face from us? <clears throat> you know, there are moments where our sin breaks our fellowship. It never breaks our position in Christ. Never, no, no sin can ever separate you from the love of God. However, when we embed ourselves in sin and we get haughty and boastful apart from the cross of Christ, then friends, it will indeed break our fellowship. I think you've all experienced this perhaps. I definitely have. Where there are times where I have created a fabricated an idol in my life and I would bow down at whatever altar I have set up and there would be this disconnect, this feeling of, of separation from the Father. And I think it, in God's mercy, he does that from time to time. He reminds you, and you've, you've created a wedge here. You have placed something in the way between you and I. You are falling down at the altar of some idol that you've created and you are not worshiping me. There is a break in our fellowship. And I think in God's favor to us, he often allows us to feel this presence of absence. That's a weird way to say that, presence of absence. Um, But we feel that. And we feel it for the purpose that God would allow that to to really weigh in on us to see our desperate need of repentance and our desperate need to have the fellowship between our great God and Father and ourselves restored. You see, by by God's favor, there are times where he allows us to go through difficult times. In his favor, in his mercy toward us, he allows us to feel the weight of our sin. But the beautiful thing is, most of the time, I would say arguably every time for the true believer in Christ, in the midst of that correction where God makes his absence known to us, we repent. I would like to argue briefly that the, the mark of the believer is repentance. Believers repent of their sin. And although we may go through seasons of, of idolatry, we may go through seasons of sinning uh, more frequently than others, Christians repent. God has made it very, very clear to us in his word that sanctification, the process of conforming us into the image of Jesus is a process that will take place in the believer's life. And so I say quite comfortably, believers will repent. And God allows us to go through this season when we have sinned and rebelled against him, that way that he might restore us to himself. In his favor, he hid his face. Now listen to what David's response is for this. He immediately pleads for God's mercy. Look, verse eight. 
To you, O Lord, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. So David has ultimately his need identified. He sees the separation between him and God. And he says, okay, the only thing I can do here is ultimately flee to the one who can grant mercy for me. I must flee to the one who is able to restore me back to the position of fellowship. And guys, what a beautiful thing is that we have access once again. And so the beautiful thing, like I mentioned in in verse two, I cried to you for help that God hears us, that even in the midst of our sin and rebellion against him, that he hears us. He hears us. He hears our cry for help. And then look at what he does. I love how David appeals. And frankly, you can see this in David's life as well as Paul's. When David makes an appeal to God to do something for him, ultimately the appeal that he's making is God Please glorify yourself through the situation in my life. Listen to what he says. What profit is there in my death? If I go down to the pit, will the dust praise you? What tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord, be my help. So what ultimately is David pleading the Lord, pleading for the Lord to do? Rescue me that I might praise you. Rescue me for your glory. Rescue me for your namesake. Ultimately, as David is appealing to the Lord, what he's saying is, Lord, because of your mercy, rescue me that I might be a herald of your mercy. And frankly, as we put this in perhaps a modern day context, for those of us who are redeemed in Christ, isn't our primary purpose as those who are redeemed in Christ to be, uh, to be proclaimers of the gospel, proclaimers of the mercy that we've received? And so when David is praying this, this this desperate need he has for rescue, for restoration, he's pleading to God's mercy, ultimately for the purpose of God's own glory and fame. He's saying, God, rescue me that I might proclaim your faithfulness. Rescue me that I might be the the foremost proclamation, words are hard, proclaimer of your mercy and goodness. And then you see this. His response. In verse 11, you see this. The Lord, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. Man, the Lord was quick to come, wasn't he? It seems in this text that as as David pleads for mercy, you see the Lord quickly come. And he does this turning my mourning into dancing, that, that from the deepest possible pain, all of a sudden I'm rejoicing and I'm expressing how thankful I am to God for what he's done. And I wonder uh, those who have may have seen David dancing and rejoicing, those who have may have watched David's uh, be clothed in, in gladness as opposed to being clothed in sackcloth. I wonder how easy it was for David to testify to the good mercy of God. I imagine it wasn't difficult. I imagine those closest to him were very familiar with how he had been struggling, that, that he may, may have seen quite clearly the pain and that he might have been going through. But not any longer. Not any longer. Now they see this, this guy who is dancing, that is celebrating because God's mercy has come and restored him. And you see, in this, there is this, this immediate response we see in verse 12 that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. My glory there meaning everything that I have. Everything that I have may sing your praise and not be silent. Oh Lord, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. Now, I wanna ask a question as we think through this. You see, David was rejoicing and thankful, even to the point where he said, I can't be silent about the good mercy that God has had on me. How much more so then should we be? 
You see, David uh, was thanking the Lord for, yes, the turning of wrath. He was thanking the Lord for rescuing for illness. But friends, in light of the full revelation of God's word, how much more so should we be thankful? You see, you see David's need identified and uh, that, that he needs to have restoration take place. Well, we've had our need identified, haven't we? In the book of Romans, it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And far past that, that, that those who sin deserve death. Our need is clearly identified. We've been eternally separated from the Father because of our sin. And so we have a desperate need. And so what then should we do? We appeal to God for his good mercy, but friends, uh, we have this issue of God's justice. We have this issue of God's justice. Yes, in God's mercy, he desires to restore us, but because God is just, our sin must be paid for in full. And there we turn to the cross of Christ. You see, For us, how much more so should we be thankful for God's mercy for us sinners who deserve death, but instead get eternal life in Christ because it cost God his only begotten son. And so when I think about this and I think about, okay, so my need was to be eternally reconciled to the father, a need that cost God the son, cost God Christ, that he might bear our sin in his body, that we might live to righteousness. And not only that, but grace has been applied to me. Grace has been applied to me. I am no longer dead in the trespasses and sins in which I once walked, but I've been made alive together with Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. And what then should be my response to these things? So when I look at what David has gone through as he's experienced the mercy of God and he says something down the lines of that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. How can we then be silent for us experiencing even a deeper mercy and grace in Christ? Now, here's the issue. I find that we are often far too silent. I love this church's um, mission statement. Spreading the kingdom across the street and around the world. And I think far too often we think of it as a means of, uh, of, of just labor as, a, as opposed to joyful proclamation. What is, what is expanding the kingdom? Expanding the kingdom is sending out the gospel to every tribe, tongue, and nation, isn't it? Whether that be across the street or indeed around the world. And friends, if we are savoring the mercies of God poured out on our lives, not only just thinking about how he's so kind to us amidst our rebellion, not only thinking about how, yes, there are times where he relieves our illnesses, but far past that, thinking how he has relieved our eternal condition and, and adopted us to himself. Friends, how can we then be silent? How can we be silent about the good grace that God has had on us? How can we be silent? How can not every ounce of who we are flow out in praise and worship to God to the point where for those unbelievers who would come in our worship services on Sunday morning, they walk out and say, surely God is among them. Or for those of us who go into our communities, whether that be into a school teacher or a law office or a hospital How can we dare be silent about the good grace that God has given us in Christ? Has he not relieved our fallen condition? Has he not rescued us? And friends, we must be faithful proclaimers of the good news of Christ. We must faithfully preach this gospel that God has given us. We cannot be silent. And my my last thought is this. If we can be, have we truly experienced that mercy? If we can go our entire life without sharing the good news of Christ, without sharing this grand mercy that we've experienced, I have to ask the question, have we actually experienced it? 
Because friends, when I experience something good, especially something on this magnitude, I share it. Like, don't you do that? When you, when you taste something that's good, don't you want whoever you're eating with to maybe taste it as well? And so friends, when we come to the mercies of God, we see here in this passage, let us respond with proclamation, whether that be in our day-to-day worship or whether that be engaging a lost culture around us. Because God's mercy demands that we not be silent. Let's pray together. Uh, Father God, we're so grateful for who you are. We're grateful for your word. Lord, we're thankful for um, your mercy. God, we're thankful for your mercy in our day-to-day lives where you uh, relieve, whether that be pain and suffering in our lives, Lord. And we're thankful for your mercy that you turned away wrath from us, Lord, that although your anger, it is indeed slow to come, but Lord, and it's, it's also slow to stay because Lord, your anger is brief, but joy will indeed come in the morning, Lord, joy that you provide. And so, Father, by your mercy, would you uh, call us to repentance in things that we have done to rebel against you? Would you allow us to feel that, uh, that fellowship break from our sin? And would you uh, grant us repentance by your kindness? And Lord, would you allow us to taste your mercy day in and day out that we might be faithful, uh, faithfully proclaiming that mercy to those around us? It is in the name of Christ and through his blood we pray. Amen.